New Creation Realities. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 6. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And again, oh God, we're asking you to help us. Holy Spirit, you're the only true teacher of the church. We need you to help us with these things. We need you to guide us into the truth and discover for ourselves, Father, what these passages stand for and what they mean. So we trust you to help us, Father, as we continue to look into this stuff over and over again. And again, as I said, Father, not make it a one-hour thought, but a lifetime concern. So we trust you to help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just finish up on the sin consciousness thing that we just finished by on the bottom of page 19 of the notes uh, where it says, be two kinds of sin consciousness. I just want to run through that and get to the next outline here. Two kinds of sin consciousness. Number one, that of the unsaved person. Ephesians 2, 3 says that the unsaved person, person is by nature a child of wrath. He is spiritually dead. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, people that aren't born again or saved are called iniquity. I mean, the very people, they're called iniquity. The next page, the second type of sin consciousness is that of the underdeveloped believer, which is, again, what we were really speaking to. One who's never grown beyond the state of babyhood. Again, strong meat. See, everybody in the body of Christ ranges between milk drinkers and meat eaters. Everybody, everybody in the body of Christ. God loves them all the same. Never ever doubt that God's love for them is the same. But nevertheless, it says that there are milk drinkers, but there are meat eaters. And strong meat is available, but strong meat belongs unto those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern the difference between good and evil. Okay? So again... There's a sin consciousness of the underdeveloped believer, one who's never grown beyond the state of babyhood, and one who just simply does not know what his rights and privileges are in Christ. And there's all those wonderful illustrations. My favorite illustration of that is uh, from an old Reader's Digest many years ago about a man when ships were the big form of transportation between nations in those days. And a man from a European country wanted to go to America, and it's a true story about how he, had, he worked and worked and worked and got just enough money to purchase the ticket on this ocean liner. He purchases the ticket. It's like a two and a half, three week voyage in those days, whatever it was, maybe four weeks, I don't remember. But the entire time of the voyage, every time there was a meal when the passengers would have meals, he was so embarrassed that he did not have money to purchase any food that he would go and he would hide up on deck and he would sit under a, stair, a stairwell or something and he would have with him what he brought with him, which was a satchel with sausage and crackers and some cheese. And he did his best to make this exist and last for him the entire three, let's say three week voyage. And the purser kept seeing him and tried to speak to him and talk to him, what have you, but he was embarrassed and didn't want to talk and didn't speak the language well or what have you. But the end story is, of course, he gets to the very end when they're docking in America and the purser asks him, says, I just don't understand, sir, why didn't you attend any of the meals? And he said, well, he said, I had no money to purchase any of the meals. And the purser looked at him and said, sir, the price of your ticket included all the meals. 
So in other words, the entire voyage, he missed every single meal that was available because of what he did not know. And this very same thing, as simple as that is, is what happens today. It's like if you don't know what you have, it does you no good. We are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Ignorance. Remember, ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance, the very word, means lack of facts. To be ignorant means you don't know something. Uh, to be stupid means you know something, you act in reverse to what you should do, okay? Next part, it says that the cure, the cure of all this is, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, this is the fact of what the Bible says. God delivered us out of the authority. Now, that's again important because remember the other last week we talked about, or wherever, we, maybe I think it was in prayer on Thursday night. We talked about the difference between exousia and dunamis. Exousia being the Greek word for authority. Dunamis being the word for power. Jesus said, I've given you authority, exousia, over all the dunamis of the devil, of your enemies. We have authority over power. It doesn't mean we're more powerful than Satan. We have more authority. And it says here, God has delivered us out of the authority of darkness and has translated us. This is past tense. It's not what he's going to do when you get to heaven. This is what's happened now. And has translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have our redemption, the remission, not atonement, but the remission of our sins. So as I put down here, there are four things here that we learn. Number one, we are delivered. This is not a going to be. We have been delivered out of Satan's kingdom. Number two, we have been born into this new kingdom of the son of his love. Number three, it's in him that we have our redemption. Number four, it's in him that we have our remission of sin. So he redeems us. He recreates us. He delivers us out of Satan's authority. And he remits all that we've ever done. So the summary of that was just real simply that sin consciousness will keep you in bondage. And we are to have no more consciousness of sin because we are righteous in Christ. We're no longer sinners. Even that, I think I told you, you know, we, you have to quit calling yourself a sinner. Now, I know what you mean when you say, well, I'm still a sinner. But really, you're not a sinner because if you keep saying you're a sinner, that produces more sin consciousness. You're actually what the Bible calls a saint. You do know that it's not that you've been canonized with the Catholic Church. But you are, a sin, you are a saint. You used to be a sinner, but if you got born again, you're now a saint. You're a sanctified one unto God. Like I told you about when I was in the program of Teen Challenge, when I got, I got saved through the ministry of Teen Challenge, you know, because of my past and drug, addict, drug addiction and prison life and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when we were in Teen Challenge, there was a Teen Challenge choir, and the name of the choir was the Ex-Addict Choir. <laughs> and everywhere the choir went, they'd introduce us. We'd go to the church. We'd go to a different church every weekend there in Riverside, Riverside, California. This is the Teen Challenge Ex-Addict Choir. And so we all got up there and, bless God, sung all these songs, you know. I'm a new creation. <laughs> but we were the Ex-Addict Choir. And constantly being reminded of what we we're an ex-addict. We we, you draw your identity from that until, like I said, a, a good chaplain came in that began to teach us the Word of God and teach us faith. And he, the first thing he did is he put the hammer down on that. He said, this choir will no longer be called the, the ex-addict choir. He said, it's going to be called the New Creation Choir. And from that day forward, we were the New Creation Choir. And you know, that sounds so simple, but even that began to change us. Because I began, you begin, what do you call yourself? Names are incredibly significant. God changed names in the Bible and it, it created their destinies. You're not a sinner. You're a new creation. 
Oh, well, hallelujah. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am, that's God's name. That's why you put that with the truth. See, I am a new creation. God, new creation. I am a new creation. I am healed. I am blessed. These are declarations that are hooked to the name of God. Oh, anyhow, I don't want to go there now. We're getting in trouble. Next lesson five, restored fellowship. In the fall of man, of course, this basic truth happened. Mankind lost their fellowship with God. We see in Genesis chapter two, verses seven through 19, that Adam had fellowship with God. It was God's, evidently God's uh, habit to come and walk in the cool of the day with his man and walk with him. But then fellowship was lost. Genesis three, verses six through eight in the outline. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, I, I, again, we're not, we're, I, I don't get mad at me because I always say that phrase. We're not teaching on this now. I say that so much. I apologize. All sin is in three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan in those very three ways. When Satan came in Luke 4, it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Right here, the woman saw, lust of the eyes, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Lust of the, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and he knew that they were naked and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from what? From what? What's it say? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The very first trait that entered into the spirit of man when they fell was fear and shame that caused hiding and caused them, want to, caused them to want to move from the presence of God, not to the presence of God. Now you've heard me say in other parts, this is something in Bible, good Bible college that they'll teach you a phrase called the law of first mention. The law of first mention, that when you see something mentioned in Genesis, the first five books of Genesis, there are spiritual laws laid out that run throughout the entire course of all the Bible. Like again, the first three stated words of Lucifer, hath God said. The foundation of all deception is your knowledge or misknowledge of what God has said. And that's where all deception comes from. Do you know what the Bible says? But here, what we're trying to get you to see without going into all this is that fellowship was lost. The first thing that happened was that fellowship was lost. And this is again, like I said in the beginning, when you study the Bible, there are three places you can see the perfect will of God unhindered. And that's number one, in the garden before the fall, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and in heaven. And so you ask yourself before the fall, how perfect was the fellowship? I mean, how perfect was the fellowship? And then you have to ask yourself these questions. In our redemption, how much fellowship has been restored? A little bit, a partial amount, or just as much as Adam would have had? Just as much as Jesus said he had with the Father. In 1 John 1, 6, it says here, if we say, 
Actually, turn to 1 John. I can't not go there. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, because our fellowship has been restored in Christ, okay? Sin, of course, is what broke fellowship. 1 John 1, 6. We'll read that, then I'm going to back all the way up. John said, the Apostle John said, So if we say we are partakers together and enjoy fellowship with him, when we live and move and are walking about in darkness, we are both speaking falsely and do not live and practice the truth which the gospel presents. Okay? So it says right there, I'm going to read this next paragraph on the outline. The thing that makes the church the most beautiful place in the world is not the building. It is the people who are in fellowship with one another and with the Lord Jesus. But the moment we sin against our brother, we break fellowship with him and we go into darkness. But this is crucial again that you remember this as we start to go into this part now about fellowship. Remember the difference between fellowship and relationship, okay? Like I said, my daughter Anna, my son Jamie, when they disobeyed me or sinned against me, it would interfere with our fellowship. But ask yourself this, did the relationship alter? Is he still my son? Is he? Yeah. See, relationship isn't what happened, isn't what gets messed up with sin. Fellowship is. Fellowship can be hindered, but relationship remains intact. And I always, when I can't share that without always saying this too, let me tell you something. If Jamie, when he was, or Anna, when she was eight or nine years old, I, I know that I've repeat, I'm repeating myself from another time, but if they, if I walk into a room and I see you spanking my son or my daughter and you're not in relationship with me and you're not in relationship with my, I'm, you will have a lot of problem with me because you have no authority over my children. Now, the reason I bring that up every time is because there is this continual teaching and tradition that even if they don't say it blatantly, they say it by innuendo that God allows Satan to punish his children. That's what it comes down to when it's all said and done. Well, God put this on me to teach me something. Well, like sickness and disease, God can't put it on you because he doesn't have any to put on. Satan's the author of darkness and the author of sickness and disease. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil. Sickness and disease is demonic oppression or satanic work. It is not godly initiated ever, 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 ever. Okay? And I'm just saying, these things, see, become so basic to every issue of our faith. I can mess up fellowship, but relationship is intact. I am God's son now, whether you like it or not. The thing that makes the church the most beautiful place in the world is not the building, it's the people who are in fellowship. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says we've been called into fellowship. And the, of course, the Greek word is koinia. It says it literally means a having in common, a partnership, a fellowship, a participation that's recognized and enjoyed. Now look at this. The second from the, second from the last little two lines from the bottom of the outline. 1 John 1, 1 through 4, I'm going to read. But listen to this statement. Do you think the Father would call us into fellowship with His Son if we weren't righteous? Because 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says we have been called into this fellowship with the Lamb of God. Now I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, and I'm going to do my best not to get start preaching this and the thing here. But the Apostle John says here, now listen to it, and again from the Amplified in particular. He 
He said, this whole, he's the apostle of love. Now listen to what he says. I, in fact, I, I want to go ahead and read all the way down to verse 9. Lord, help me to do this quickly. We are writing, now listen to this. This is how he starts. We are writing about the word of life in him who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard, whom we have seen with their own eyes, whom we have gazed upon for ourselves and have touched with our own hands. And the life, an aspect of his being was revealed and made manifest and demonstrated. And we saw as eyewitnesses and are testifying to and declare to you the life, the eternal life in him who already existed with the Father and who actually was made visible, was revealed to us his followers. What we have seen and ourselves heard, we are also telling you, now this is the reason, this is why fellowship is so important. He said, we are also telling you so that you too may realize and enjoy fellowship, koinia, as partners and partakers with us. And this fellowship that we have, God forgive us because today we don't have the fellowship that this verse speaks of. And this fellowship which we have, which is a distinguishing mark of Christians, is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are now writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you included may be full and your joy may be complete. And this is the message, the message of promise which we have heard from him and now are reporting to you. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. No, not in any way. So if we say we are partakers together and enjoy fellowship with him when we live and move and are walking about in darkness, we are both speaking falsely and do not live and practice the truth which the gospel presents. Verse 7. But... If we really are living and walking in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have true unbroken fellowship with one another. Now, now really listen, the next three verses. Every Christian knows 1 John 1, 9 real well, but I want you to listen to it afresh. Verse 7, if we really are living and walking in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have true unbroken, ship, unbroken fellowship with one another and the blood, if we're walking in fellowship, if we're walking in light and fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, removes us from all sin and guilt, keeps us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Now, if we say we have no sin, Refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude and lead ourselves astray. And the truth which the gospel presents is not in us and does not dwell in our hearts. But if we would freely admit, if we would freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he, now listen, like you've never listened before to this verse. If you acknowledge that sin is something that's still around, and this is not contradicting what I just said, just stay with me. 
if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful. Listen to that. He is faithful. Now, let me just throw this out real quick right now. To be faithful, listen, you can't be faithful unless something is previously in place to be faithful to. You got that? He's faithful to something that's already in motion. I'm faithful to my wife. That means I'm faithful to the covenant she and I entered into some 21 years ago. It's something that's already in place. When you sin, is that when God finds out about it? When you confess your sin, is that when God finds out about it? Is it? No. He probably already knows, right? Right? Now listen to this verse. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins and dismiss. Now this is where it's the amplified. I should, I made a mistake. I did not bring this Greek. I was going to bring this lexicon today and let you read these words. If we freely admit that, he has, that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously, say continuously. And he will continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. And the reason I'm reading all that <laughs> and kind of getting off the outline already again is because I want you to catch this. I said the first hour that there's nobody that's sinless perfectly as far as your flesh, is there? Right? What God is saying here that so many people miss is that he's speaking about this fellowship that we have with one another and this perfect fellowship and relationship we have with the Father now through the blood of Jesus Christ. He comes down here and he's saying, listen, to say that there's no sin is insanity. He said, because everybody has still, they, they still do, okay, remember what the word sin is. In a Bible college, it's, you study hamartiology, which is the Greek word for sin, hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Remember the word sin is an archery term. I'm sure you've been taught this. It's an archery term, bow and arrow, that means to miss the mark. Well, there's nobody that doesn't miss the mark. You don't hear, hit the bullseye every single day of your life, do you? Uh, I think it was with yourself last night I, I made mention. There's a major difference between sin and unbelief. Sin has never sent anybody to hell. You don't go to hell because of sin. Unbelief is what causes you, is what will cause a person to ultimately go to hell. But sin, unchecked, leads to unbelief. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Lust, having conceived, bringeth forth sin. Now, even right there, I wish you could really hear that, as it says in James. Lust, having conceived. There's a conception period between the time when you think a bad thought and you act upon it. Hear me? Conception. Lust having conceived. In other words, 
bad thoughts, there's nobody in this room that doesn't have renegade, weird, stupid thoughts go through their mind. Steal this, do that, you know, whatever. Think this. Those thoughts cross every, because we're in this world. We're not of it, but we're in this world and this world is wicked. So the thing is you have to, like I shared on that other course, you cannot identify with thoughts that are in your head and immediately say, that's who I'm thinking this. No, those are thoughts that you can't keep from going through your head that you have to bring into captivity to the mind of Christ. But those thoughts unchecked basically can become a lust. A lust is just a word that means an inordinate, passionate desire for a car, for a woman, for anything. It makes no difference. But lust having conceived, what I want you to see right now is before it's sin, it's lust. And again, lust is a heavy word and you immediately have all kinds of connotations. I'm just, let's just use it, instead of saying the word lust, just thoughts where you begin to really ponder and think and, and you're, you know, you're into this thought process. You think long enough, that can enter into sin where you'll cause yourself to miss the mark. But even if you miss the mark, you see, you, you've got to catch this. Everybody misses the mark. If missing the mark disqualifies you from being loved or used by God, then nobody will ever be used or loved by God. But sin, if it's allowed, this is why in Hebrews, if we were to get into Hebrews a lot in the next bits, it talks in Hebrews 4, all that bit about don't harden your heart. It speaks about calluses. It speaks about how the human heart is like this incredible... Does anybody here ever done something that's a horrible four-letter word called work? Like, anybody ever heard of a demonic tool called a shovel? I used to use one a lot when my, my dad was a building contractor for 37 years. Like I said, I grew up around the trade. You know, and as kids, we'd get these, you know, you get all these calluses on your hands from working. And little, and guys, you know, guys are stupid. We'd get mama's straight pins, the little pins, and we'd love to stick a pin in the callus because it was so funny, because you know, you couldn't feel anything, right? You can't feel anything because it's calloused. Well, the Word of God says, you see, God's Word keeps coming. It says, don't harden your heart as in the day of provocation. What happens is, is when people continue to sin, that sin can lead them to a place of unbelief where literally a callous forms on your spirit is the only way you can communicate it. And like Paul said to Timothy, you can become past feeling. You get past feeling in that, that area. In other words, this isn't sin to me anymore. It's okay. It's just all right. It's not a big deal. I do it so much that I've lost the sense of anything being wrong about it. You've hardened your heart. And the problem with the callus is it'll spread. So sin leads, lust leads to sin. Sin will lead to unbelief. And unbelief is what sends you to hell. But now back to this passage. We're talking about sin here and how sin will get you out of fellowship. But sin's not unbelief. But so, uh, just, just, just watch this. Watch what he says. If you're faithful and just, I mean, excuse me, if, if you confess your sins, and, and I have a lot of problems with some of the stuff that's taught about, you need to, I mean, I've been to these seminars where people, where the guys are teaching on, on confessing, uh, confessing known and unknown sins. I mean, how do you confess an unknown sin? I mean, think, you know, how do you confess an unknown sin? But again, like I said, that's where they get into this stuff about digging into your past and digging into your past and digging into your past. And I have a lot of problem with that because, again, I know how Satan operates. If I tell you to go back and to go back and to go back and to go back and let's consider what may have happened to you when you were four years old, 
you create a thought process and let's say you get a little freedom because we pray over you and you get blessed from that. But now the next time you got a problem, rather than maybe just deal with what's right in front of you, you'll start going, I wonder what else is in my past. And you're subliminally taught to go back and to look at something and to dig deep and to dig. And let me tell you, when you start digging in that kind of stuff, you're in the, you're in the soulish realm. And in the soulish realm, Satan will play havoc with you. But if you confess your sin, in other words, if you're just faithful, see what God is saying here is, to, let me boil it down real quickly. God loves honesty. This is deep. <laughs> God loves honesty. But the part I want you to see is if you will just confess that which you know is your mistakes, God is then faithful to what happened in Christ 2,000 years ago to that covenant and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the, word, the reason I had you say the word continuously is because in the Greek, it's incredible. It speaks about how when you're an honest man or woman before God, it speaks about when you're honest about your known areas where you miss it, that God not only forgives you from that, but he cleanses you from any other unrighteousness that you may not even be aware of. I don't know if you can accept that or not, but that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the glory of God. This is what God has done. God has done something so big because he knows that you can't spend. Do you think from reading what we just read in Hebrews, he wants you to spend the rest of your life looking for something else to be conscious of? Think about it. Does he? No. Why? Because it will cripple you. Why do you think the church is so weak and anemic and there is no power in it? Because again, it's sin conscious. Sin, 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 sin. We're so unqualified. We're so unworthy. We're so unworthy. We're so unworthy. We're so... Yeah, you're unworthy. Get over yourself. <laughs> you're unworthy, but we're not talking about his, our worthiness. We're talking about his worthiness that he's, he's imputed to us. See, you will never do anything. You will never march forward. You will never take risks. You'll never be bold before God. We're caught, this book says we are to come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment anymore. We come boldly to a throne of grace that we might find love gifts and help in time of need coming in due time just when we need it, it says. Yes. We come boldly all through the scriptures. You know, when we teach on prayer, all those verses that say we then fearlessly come before God. We come confidently, like I just read in Hebrews, with unqualified assurance. I can stand in the presence of God right now without any sense of inferiority or guilt or condemnation. Knowing that this is still stupid, I need to do this in my life, I need to do that in my life, but that's not the issue. The reason I'm going to be able to do with, it, do with that stuff is because first and foremost, something has happened vertically. I am connected to God. I am one with the Lord. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. He is my dad. I am his son. That's the biggest truth I'm ever to possess. And from that, everything else begins to roll itself out. But if you're faithful, if you'll confess your known sins. If you'll just be faithful that God is faithful, you engage that covenant, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. Wherever there's confession, there's healing. But when you just confess your sin, Father, I missed it. You're cleansed from all unrighteousness and you're supposed to not live and grovel for the next 30 years, but you're supposed to rise up Go to war. I love Micah. I always quote this verse out of Micah 7. It says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall, for I shall arise. Amen. I love that. 
The issue is not whether or not somebody falls down. The issue is whether or not you get up and you learn to get up quick. You learn to get up quick. And I tell you, this is why you have to learn to walk by faith. I know I've said this before as well, but I counsel with so many pastors and leaders and stuff. And like I said, these guys, and I used to, I'd go through it myself years ago. You get up and I, these, I always remember this one pastor saying, what's wrong with me? I'm wicked. I get up in the pulpit. And the moment I stand up in the pulpit, all these wicked thoughts come into my mind. My God, it's like I'm not even saved. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I'd, and I'd have to school them over and over again. This, that's not who you are. That's, that is an attack. That is a thing trying to get you out of the pulpit, trying to get you out of your office, trying to get you out of the call. That's not you. Quit identifying with those thoughts. Just cast those suckers down. My old spiritual father used to say this years ago. He said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't keep the stuff from coming, but you can keep it from staying there. Uh, the righteousness of God is what we need to center on. And this isn't even on the outline, but I can't stand it. I got to read this to you anyhow. I want you to read Romans 3.21. Now I want to show you something. Romans 3.21 says this, but now, but now the righteousness of God. Are you listening? Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of the righteousness of God has been revealed independently and altogether apart from the law. Listen, although actually it is attested to by the law and the prophets, namely the righteousness of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ the Messiah. And it is meant for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But because just like all have sinned, verse 24, all have been justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by His grace through the redemption which is provided in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? Right? I mean, you know, I could shout right there, but I want you to think, I'm going to turn, I'll turn to Matthew 17 just for a second. Move back to the outline. I can't help it. In the King James, Romans 3.21 says this, but now the righteousness of God is revealed outside of the law. Are you listening? Being witnessed. Listen, now the righteousness of God outside of the law has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Right? But now the righteousness of God has been revealed outside of the law, but it was witnessed, it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. I want to show you some scriptures just real quick that this points to. Mount of Transfiguration. Watch this. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And his appearance underwent a change in their presence, and his face shone clear and bright like the sun, and his clothing became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, who kept talking with him. Now, who does Moses represent? The law. Moses was the lawgiver. Who does Elijah represent? The prophets. Right? He was the chief prophet in the Old Covenant. Now listen to this. 
Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah who kept talking with him. So Peter's down here and he sees Jesus and somehow he recognizes it's Moses and it's Elijah. So you've got Jesus, you got Moses, you got Elijah. Verse four, then Peter began to speak and said to Jesus, Lord, this is cool. This rocks. It's my definition. It is good and delightful that we are here. If you approve, I will put up three booths. Now the King James, it says, let us make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is something in Bible college they actually call the three tabernacle theory. This is great. We've got Moses, we've got you, Jesus, and we've got Elijah. Let's make three tabernacles, three dwelling places, three places we can visit over and over again. The law, you, Jesus, and the prophets. But I love the next verse. It says, while Peter was still speaking, God interrupts. <laughs> so you got to picture that. Peter's in the midst of talking. Hey, this is cool. Let's build three. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, a shining cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Hallelujah. Do you see the significance of that? I want the law. I want the prophets. Jesus, this father just interrupts Peter and says, boy, <laughs> the law is great. And the prophets are great, but Jesus is here. He's the one you need to listen to. And that's what Romans 3.21 says when it says, but now the righteousness of God, who was Jesus Christ, has been revealed outside of the law and it's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. And it points right here. To me, that's incredible. This is why I, 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 people misinterpret me sometimes. I love the Old Testament but I will never love the Old Testament to the expense of the new covenant. You hear me? Because what I'm supposed to listen to today is Jesus Christ and what he's done. If I start reading and spending 80%, this is why you get bored with me saying it, but you need to spend 80% of your time in the New Testament. Ugh. Please, I love the old, a lot of stuff I teach, talking to Julia about it earlier, I'm gonna start reteaching the Tabernacle of Moses at some point, but we need to get this first. Turn the page. Sin broke the fellowship. Romans 5, this is on page 22. Sin is what broke fellowship. Romans 5, 12 through 14. I'm going to just read these. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all sinned. And that's exactly what happened in the fall. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed Boy, this is heavy. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. You have to ask yourself a question. Is there still a law that you're living by? Then sin still, you're still living under sin's imputation every day. But I can't answer this for you because you'll get mad at me. I would just suggest you read the Bible and see whether or not the law still exists or what it says about the law. It doesn't, and Jesus talked about not one jot or one tittle of this law shall pass away until every part of it's been fulfilled. But you have to ask yourself what's been fulfilled. What were the last words of the Lamb of God on the cross? And then do not get mad at me. Do not get mad at me. I'm just saying, read this verse. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. 
So man lost his standing. Adam was God in the earth. He made him to be God on the earth, but man lost his standing. He was driven from the presence of God. Genesis 3, 20 through 2 through 24. God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. But point B, like we said, but God in his grace loves us anyhow. Romans 5 verses 6 through 8. Paul said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, this is the incredible thing. See, look at how he loved you initially. Did he love you because you met some qualification? No, we were dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses when he chose to redeem us into eternity. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, now, Christ died for us. And again, you know, all those verses, if, <laughs> you know, if, if God so loved us while we were yet dead in our sins and trespasses, how much more, how much more, as the scripture says, how much more will he show himself alive to us now in this dispensation? I'm paraphrasing. Jesus has reconciled us to God. Romans 5, 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled? It's past tense. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, not just your life. Our life is saved through his life. Again, it's what Paul said in Galatians, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of him who loved me. Like I keep saying before, you can never live by your faith. You're going to have to live by his faith, what he's done. Romans 5, 15 through 18, but the gift of God is not like the trespass. This is what the whole first course on which side of Calvary is about. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought... I need to read verse 16 again. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness? It's a gift of righteousness. It's up to you whether or not you want to receive it. A gift has to be received. As many as receive the gift of righteousness will reign in life like a king through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result 
of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Again, I can't preach these. There's not enough time. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this same message of reconciliation. And what that means is simply this. We're to tell people God's not angry anymore. That's the gospel. God's not angry anymore. All of his wrath, Romans 5 says, was expended upon his son, Jesus Christ. We've been delivered. Remember Romans 5 says from the first course, it says categorically, you have been delivered from the wrath to come. Wrath is coming, but not to us that are in Christ. <laughs> what is that supposed to produce? It's, it's supposed to produce a quality of life that causes you to live boldly live wonderfully, live strongly, live unafraid, live fearless, and walk before God with a whole heart. Look at this picture of the church today, Colossians 1, 21, 22, and 23. And you that were sometime alienated, in other words, at one time, you that were at one time alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. <laughs> Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you'll continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of this good news, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Well, what hope? This revelation of our reconciliation. We've been restored to fellowship. Ephesians 2, 10 through 20, you need to read it all. It says we've been recreated in Christ. And again, that we've been made to come nigh and that we now have access to God. And again, Romans, you need to, you know, I've, I share all the time, you need to read you need to study Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. You need to study Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. You need to read those passages, those chapters about 2,000 times. And then understand why Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Job, in the, uh, the, it says, I, I, well, I'm... I don't want to read that in Job because like I said, I've only got two minutes left and I got to rush, but read those, read from Job chapter 33. This is Elihu's counsel. Elihu was incredible. He's my, one of my favorite guys in the Bible from verse 21 through verse 28 of Job 33. And it speaks about what God does when somebody, when they're restored, what happens is when righteousness is restored. The Bible says that we are daily delivered from sin's dominion. This revelation of righteousness is indeed what gives you the strength to, the resist, to resist the lies of Satan. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, the Word of God tells us that God who has called us into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. So the summary of that is that man lost his fellowship with God at the fall. While we were lost... God sent Jesus for us 
And what I hope that you'll discover is that fellowship with Almighty God has been completely restored to exactly the same state that Adam had before the fall. You have to walk by faith to believe that. But when you do start to walk by faith and believe that, all I can tell you is this, it's amazing what begins to happen in your life. You need to get a mirror, stand in front of it, and take these verses and read them out loud and say, this is who I am, this is what I have, hallelujah, this is where I'm walking. In the name of Jesus Christ, I am the redeemed of the Lord and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we trust again, oh God, you said that the entrance of your word brings light. So work this word's work in our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.